Hello, folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. That's uh, Brother Trucker, and they're tuned downtown, kicking off our conversation here today as we broadcast live from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, and also in the bullseye of the ongoing springtime version of the polar vortex. Uh, so much fun going on in the world right now with climate change uh, that uh, farmers are not getting their stuff in the fields. But first, a quick shout-out to some of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a fantastic place for breakfast, lunch, or supper, open seven days a week. And they've got an excellent catering service as well. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been practicing and performing and perfecting her veterinary skills for 30 years on both creatures large and small. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic near Ames. And thanks also to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines, Fair Trade Tea and Coffee, and also an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. And finally, thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines, authentic Mexican food at very affordable, affordable prices with excellent, friendly service. That's Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. All right, so we're going to kick off our conversation today by... Talking about, yeah, Steve King. I, I'm sorry we have to do this, but uh, Steve King regularly gives us reasons that we have to talk about him and look at what he's saying. I mean, more most recently, about what two weeks ago, he caught heat, no pun intended, for discussing the positive side of climate change, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm still I'm still laughing about this because. Uh, I respect uh, factcheck.org. They do a great job. They, they, they're very bi nonpartisan, completely nonpartisan, and they look at stuff very fairly, very scientifically, very much in depth. And if you were able to read through the entire article where they analyzed what Steve King said about climate change, you would have found that they actually gave him some kudos for at least getting part of it right. But the part of it, the part he got right was the obvious part. The part he got wrong was was just um, so wrong, it was actually the exact opposite of the truth. So in a town hall in Cherokee, Iowa, late last month, uh, a woman asked Steve King about uh, climate change and about geoengineering. And uh, he, um, he said, uh, you know, I'm hearing all, he, this is a quote, I'm hearing all these things that are bad. Well, what could be good? Surely on the other side there is something good. And he goes on to talk about how rain could be making deserts lush again. They could be growing, you know, crops where they currently have sand and rock. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he pointed out, some of this got pretty bizarre. He pointed out that 70% of the earth is covered by water. And if the earth warms, there will be more evaporation that goes into the atmosphere. Now, that part is right. Okay, that's right. And, of course, that means there will be rain. It'll, it'll rain more and more in certain places. But that's, that's the problem. It's going to rain. You know, it's, it's hard to know exactly how this comes out. But um, King concludes that surely that's going to sh uh, shrink the deserts and expand the, quote, green growth. And that's going to be some good to that. So I just look at the other, the good side. I mean, this kind of reminds me of Trump saying, you know, regarding the uh, – the, uh, the um, riot in Charlottesville and the, the, the basically the, 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 the violence, he gave how he described it as being, you know, problems on both sides. Here's King saying that with climate change, there's, there's good and there's bad. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what, what Fact Check says about shrinking the deserts, um, King jumped from his presumption of increased rainfall in, quote, more and more places to concluding that deserts might shrink in a warming future. If anything, we can expect deserts to expand, and in fact, we're already seeing that. So, again, Fact Check talks with uh, the University of Maryland climate scientist, a few other people. And, um, you know, to try to put a positive spin on climate change instead of saying maybe we need to get more serious about it, that's problematic. But anyway, I, you know, as bad as that was, that kind of 
that kind of uh, pales to what King said last week. He um, posted a meme on his Facebook page. It was a meme borrowed from a very, very radical right-wing site. And uh, it showed uh, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. And those were um, two U.S. citizens who were convicted of treason back in, what, the 1950s, I believe. And uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, put to death, killed for spying, for allegedly spying on behalf of the Soviet Union uh, during the, you know, front end of the Cold War. Now, so you see, you see, you see um, Julius Rosenberg, Ethel Rosenberg, and then below that you see very unflattering photographs of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, um, basically comparing them to the Rosenbergs, claiming that the Clintons... Uh, sold uranium to the Russians, and and you know that they're, they're, the the meme says they're still free, and questions I think whether they should be free, or whether they should be treated like the Rosenbergs, which means put to death. It's a uh, it's really horrible. It's it's horrifying that anybody should put that out there, and it's horrifying that a member of the U.S. Congress thinks that's okay. Here's the exact text. Julius and Ethel, Ethel Rosenberg, the photos with the text uh, on, on Steve King's Twitter feed, committed acts of espionage and treason, giving U.S. nuclear secrets to the Soviets, period, executed for their crimes, in bold print. And below that, Bill and Hillary Clinton sold nuclear materials for personal profit to the Soviets, including yellow cake uranium that terrorists may use, still running free. And King includes, along with that retweeted meme, the uh, hashtag lock them up. Okay, so maybe he stepped back from the brink. But if you look at that, there's no way you can, you can't not look at that meme and not understand where the people who put it out there think this should go. In your mind, if you're reading that and you're agreeing them, you're agreeing, yes, Julius, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg rightfully killed by the U.S. government, for their crimes during the Cold War, yes, they were executed, good. And, and, then, and then there's no way you can not conclude that the author of that meme implies the same should be the punishment for the Clintons. For this, I mean, sold nuclear materials for personal profit to the Soviets, including yellow cake uranium? Now, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I'm out of, out of the loop. But I don't – the only yellow cake I'm familiar with is angel food cake, and I don't really care for it. But yellow cake uranium that terrorists may use, I have no idea what that's even talking about. I mean, if, if, somebody's got, if somebody's got something on that that makes any sense to them, let me know. And again, we have a wide-open program today. You're welcome to call and join us at 515-528-8122. That's 515-528-8122. And, of course, you can hear this program from anywhere in the known galaxy uh, online at either the Fallon Forum website, fallonforum.com slash listen, or you can go to the Lorena website, Lorena 1260 AM, and live stream it from there as well. But um, Steve King, there he goes again. And uh, I again, I don't... Do, do people... I, I, th- I think sometimes people forget some of what he says. I, you know, and it's a long, long list, and it just keeps going... And uh, I, I don't I don't know how he continues to get away with this. And and again, maybe he isn't because it seems that uh, there is some pretty um, there are some Republicans that are pretty unhappy with him as well. And again, we'll see where that goes. But um, you know, just browsing through his long list of of crazy statements, just just crazy stuff that just keeps going. You know, he filed a bill back in '02, and actually, he and I served together. Until, oh gosh, when was was it? Oh, two that he was elected, I think. We we served together in the Iowa, Iowa legislature, uh, and people. This always surprises people, but I, we actually got along once in a while. <laughs> well, personally, we got along just fine. You know, I, and maybe this is just because just among, among among people who are comfortable to Steve King, which means primarily, you know, white 
males. <laughs> but uh, he and I got along okay. Disagreed on stuff really strongly. But I never, I never knew he was quite this uh, off the off the charts. I mean, we knew he was uh, was a bit extreme, but the extremism just seems to have become even more more noted, more more um, more extreme. Anyway, here he is back in '02 when he was in the state senate. He filed a bill requiring schools to teach that the U.S. is the unchallenged greatest nation in the world and that has derived its strength from Christianity, free enterprise, capitalism, and Western civilization. Uh, I remember that. <laughs> that was about the time that uh, King and I were on opposite sides of the official English bill. I was one of the uh, two Democrats who's, who um, were on the subcommittee to oppose that bill, um, and we, um, you know, well, this is a sore spot, of course. We thought we had, they, we watered the bill down really, really significantly. It really wasn't, there really wasn't much to it at the end. It was just a symbolic gesture that was still hurtful but didn't do a lot. And we thought Governor Vilsack would veto that, and he didn't. And I think Governor Vilsack probably regrets that. But that was, a, a, you know, that was, in, that was one, of her, one of the king's first, at least according to the records I have, one of the first crazy things he said and then in 05, when he's in Congress now, uh, King he introduced the English Language Unity Act. That was a bill that would make English the official language of the U.S. And King um, sued the Iowa Secretary of State, that would have been Chuck Culver at the time, for um, posting voting information on an official website in Spanish, Laotian, Bosnian, and Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember where that lawsuit went. Maybe it was dismissed out of hand, but I don't I, I know it didn't pass. Anyway, so um you know, it goes on. The list goes on and on and on. Um you know, uh in 06 at a rally in Las Vegas, King called the debts of Americans at the hands of undocumented immigrants a slow motion holocaust. That was when he claimed that um, that the 25 Americans he, – he claimed that 25 Amer Americans died daily because of undocumented immigrants. I mean and, – and again, we're looking so okay, and, and, and show us that. <laughs> you know, that's – again, you don't have to have a lot of facts in order to spout the kind of rhetoric that we've come to expect from Steve King. And I'd say his closest ally in the, in the federal government, President Donald Trump. Yeah, it just goes on and on and on. Um, I mean, in, in 2010, King, speaking of how law enforcement officers can spot undocumented immigrants, this is a famous one now, um, quote, what kind of clothes people wear, what kind of shoes people wear, what kind of accent they have. Sometimes it's just a sixth sense they can't put their finger on. And, of course, he also went on to say that they have calves the size of cantaloupes because they're all smuggling in drugs. Uh, I mean, this stuff just goes on and on and on. Uh, it is remarkable that he has gone so long with so little chastisement. Well, of course, until just, what, last year? Uh, or earlier this year, rather. Earlier this year when the uh, U.S. Congress um, declared that uh, that uh, that his... Um, his uh, comment that white nationalist, this is quote, quote, white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization. How did, that how did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and our civilization? Again, that was, that was what finally got the U.S. Congress to chastise Steve King. In fact, only one, only, only one person voted against it. I know it wasn't Steve King. It was a, a Democratic lawmaker, I believe, from Illinois, who felt it didn't go far enough. King himself voted to chastise. It's, just, it's, it's almost, if it wasn't so hateful and damaging and offensive, it would be funny. Anyway, again, the latest uh, example of King not being funny, um, posting a meme suggesting that uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton should be executed, like Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, who were traitors to the U.S. I hope there is some additional response by the U.S. House against this kind of uh, inflammatory rhetoric. It's not only wrong, it's not only, it's not only factually wrong, it's not only morally wrong, it's dangerous. I mean, we, we know that hate crimes have increased because of the rhetoric coming out of the White House and to some extent the rhetoric coming out of the mouths of folks like Steve King. This cannot be allowed to continue. 
People have to stand up to this. And I think people, normal people, average people, people who don't have a political axe to grind are standing up and saying it's wrong. I hope we'll see some pushback from Steve King's colleagues, both Democrat and Republican, in the U.S. House as well. All right, so when we come back, folks, on from a short break here, we'll talk about some of the stuff happening in Iowa relevant to the uh, presidential campaign, including a visit from Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns. Someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515 515- Two four six eight one four nine. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. And welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you today here. You're welcome to join the conversation. We've got a wide open, uh, wide open format here today. Uh, give us a shout if you like at 515-528-8122. That's 528-8122. Uh, thanks to the folks here at Lorena, 1260 AM, 96.5 FM, uh, our host station for this program. Thanks to the other stations around Iowa and around the nation that rebroadcast the program. You can always listen to the live show on the website, on the Fallon Forum website, fallonforum.com. And, of course, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes or Stitcher. And it also doesn't hurt, of course, to like us on Facebook. All right, so 
Later in the program, we're going to be talking about Joe Biden's, quote, middle ground on climate and how that uh, is coming under fire. Uh, but first, I'm going to give you an update on a few things happening here in Iowa relevant to the presidential caucuses. So um, Mayor Bill de Blasio, Mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio here last week and uh, didn't do a lot and certainly didn't do any um, what you would call big public events uh, Went to an ethanol plant, of course, because everybody has to, you know, bow down before the ethanol industry here, right? And uh, <laughs> then he went to the farm of uh, George and Patty Naylor. These are longtime farmers and longtime farm activists who've been very vocal about um, some of the problems within agriculture, some of the consolidation, and uh, some of the impacts that big ag and the chemical industry continues to have on family farmers. The Nailers uh, hosted a, a gathering for the mayor and some other farmers in the area. Um, I love the description in Politico. Quote, in their modest house along a dirt road in Tredan, Iowa. Well, I'm, I, I, have, I haven't been to the uh, Nailers farm in a while, but I'm pretty sure that's not a dirt road. That's what we call a gravel road. Big difference. If it was a dirt road in the weather we've been having here in Iowa, you'd probably still be stuck there. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a big difference, but I know that the city folks has probably lost. Anyway, um, I ended up uh, getting to meet de Blasio. At a, it was, a, again, a, a private closed meeting uh, with Mayor County, Mayor Des Moines Mayor, Mayor County, and um, a few others to talk about mental health. But afterwards, I waited outside along with a, a gaggle of press types from Guess you guessing you know no surprise here New York City, uh, they apparently follow him, <laughs> followed him to Iowa, to uh, uh, you know to to ask meaningless questions. Let me just call it like it is. And again, Politico's story about the Des Moines portion of the visit was vacuous at best, and to my to my way of thinking, pretty embarrassing. Uh, so there are there are a maybe three or four of us from actual Iowa caucus goers there, uh, standing with all the, uh, maybe a, a dozen people with the new with the media. Again, most of them from out of state. And when when uh, De Blasio agreed to take questions, the first question was, "How did you finance this trip? Is this taxpayers' money, or are you funding this yourself?" You know. And he said, "Well, we're going we're going to explain that later." And that's. That, that's a you know a fair enough question I guess it's not a real pressing issue, and then it got worse. Oh, it did ever did it ever get worse? Um, the next question was uh, why did you choose to announce your campaign in New York at such and such a site? I, I don't know New York geography to know well enough what site that was, instead of a different site. And he just kind of like rolled his eyes and moved on. And I, I laughed. I just laughed at the question. I, I don't know. Maybe I offended these reporters. But the next one was by far the worst question. It was um, you these new these new shoes you're wearing. Is this some kind of a new statement? I, I didn't. I hadn't even noticed the guy's shoes, but. Apparently, the mayor, quote, sported a fashionable new wardrobe of trendy sneakers, fitted jeans, and an open blue blazer. Like, who the heck cares? <laughs> I mean, and de Blasio, to his credit, said, does anybody here have a question about an actual issue? And fortunately, somebody asked about mental health. Somebody asked about Israel-Palestine. And I asked him about climate change. And he gave a very good response. I mean, I thanked him for taking leadership on uh, requiring buildings in New York to pay to either re improve their carbon footprint, reduce their carbon footprint, or pay a fine. Uh, President Trump, by the way, is not happy about this because it's going to cost him about half a million a year. Um, <laughs> so I also thanked uh, de Blasio for being opposed to a gas pipeline that would run from New Jersey to Queens. I think it gave a decent response. You know, it, re it remains to be seen just how seriously he's going to take climate change. But I guess my, you know, my real takeaway from this is, wow, this is why the mainstream media is a, a big part of the problem. All they can focus on is stupid stuff. Yes, I'm going to call it stupid stuff. I don't care what kind of shoes he's wearing. I don't care where he decided to have the kickoff of his campaign. Okay, I care a little bit about how he's financing his trip. 
Now, presumably, any politician with any even a half a brain, and that's most of them. Um, again, we just did, did talk about Steve King a little while ago, but, but you know, they're, they're going to make sure they know how to finance their campaign in a way that is not going to get a pushback from, you know, critics of misuse of public money or misuse of campaign money. Anyway, so the the other interesting part of the uh, de Blasio visit was that two women from New York came to the event in Des Moines. <laughs> um, and they they talked to de Blasio about trying to uh, do more for public housing. And and one of them, I, I don't remember meeting her, but she was she's quoted in, the, in this political story. Tita Concepcion says, quote, we have been in New York. We have been trying to speak with him. All we get are stories from him. We, he doesn't listen. He dodges us whenever possible. So they followed him to Des Moines, where they had a better chance to talk with him. Anyway, I am well aware that in Iowa, we, well, in Iowa, New Hampshire, to some extent, South Carolina, Nevada, we have opportunities that a lot of folks don't have. And that, um, you know, de Blasio's constituency in New York, the constituency that he represents as a mayor, is almost four times the size of our entire state's population. Okay, so I get that. Um, <laughs> it's probably tough to run into your mayor and have a chance to visit with him. You know, here in Iowa, at least in most places, we're used to being able to do that. All right, so um, other uh, other campaign news from Iowa. Well, again, it's crazy busy here. We have uh, Tim Ryan was, I think, in every small town in the state recently. <laughs> I, I, he was everywhere in uh, Republican country, mostly in Steve King country. But again, this is the Democratic primary and caucus. So the few Democrats in some of those counties are going to participate. And Tim Ryan was there to make sure they knew that he was their guy. Uh, I, I, I haven't had any feedback yet in terms of how that went. Uh, but, you know, again... He's uh, kind of reminding us now of John Delaney, who is basically I – mean, he, spent, he spent so much time in Iowa. People, uh, people are almost tired of seeing him at this point, I think. But he's still out there doing more and more events, more and more places. So um, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the commentary we're getting from the candidates for president now is relevant to the abortion uh, legislation, the, the crazy stuff happening in some of the southern states. And I'm, I'm very encouraged to see the strong pushback from Southerners in those states who understand just how dangerous and how wrong that is. Uh, another issue that's getting a lot of play in campaigns is the increased beat of war drums regarding the threat of war with Iran. And, um, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, I, I thought she put out a very uh, very intelligent piece on that subject. Um, apparently, the Daily Beast... Uh, uh, they, 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 they came up with this criteria for a quote Russian donor, a Russian donor, a Russian supporter, uh, and uh, they went through all of Tulsi Gabbard's uh, donor records and determined that there were six thousand dollars in donations from three people, <laughs> who quote fit their invented profile. So. Um, it's pretty, you know, and again, I, I think what, what Tulsi Gabbard says here is spot on. Quote, this hit piece is an example of the, of the kind of McCarthyist witch hunt made possible by the mainstream media's role in fomenting, fomenting the new Cold War with Russia. And I, you know, I would agree. I think uh, if you look historically at the wars of this country, and again, it's not like we've had a war and then it ends and then we have another war. It's like it's like it's like one just we have a permanent wartime economy. And I commend Gabbard in particular for calling that out. I think Bernie Sanders does as well. I know Marianne Williamson does. I know other candidates are critical of this uh, interve interventionist foreign policy that uh you know that's um that's uh not not just costing us lives and money but uh it's just it's it's a, it's wrong on so many levels. Uh, Gabbard goes on to say that the uh, press won't tell you, but we will. That quote: the threats against our constitutional rights as a result of our race to war are greater than ever, as big data and overreaching intelligence agencies subject the American people to increasing surveillance. You know, I, you don't normally hear people tying in our interventionist foreign policy with. 
the Patriot Act and uh, uh, and the um, the surveillance of the American people, good. I mean, I think more and more people need to understand that connection. Uh, Gabbard goes on to say, quote, the prospect of nuclear war due to increased tensions with countries like Russia and China should alarm us as it means the death of everyone and everything we love. Good. I, and again, I'm, I'm glad she's, she's raising concern about nuclear war because it, it's, it's, it's so uncomfortable to talk about. And we have become somewhat complacent about that threat. I refer to the threat of nuclear war as the other existential crisis. Again, we have loads of issues to address. Very, very important issues. But there is a crisis happening already, and that's climate change. And there is a threat of another crisis, which has been a threat hanging over our heads for decades. And it's still there. And it is it is arguably becoming more serious and more volatile because of the actions of this president. Uh, Gabbard concludes by saying, quote, as a combat veteran of two tours of duty in the Middle East and as a member of Congress who has served on the Armed Forces uh, Affairs Committee, Armed Services and Foreign Affairs Committee, there we go, um, I know the grim reality of these threats better than most, and I'm prepared with a solution. I, I, it's a good. It's a good. It's a good letter, and again, especially at a time when we see the war drums being beaten even louder, uh, you know. And I, I'm not sure she. Can, I'm not sure a universal condemnation of the mainstream media is appropriate. I think maybe uh, spot picking <laughs> where they fall down and where they might succeed. Um, I was checking out a uh, an article in Forbes magazine. Which reads, uh, which talks about how Iran sees the escalating tensions with the U.S. as, um, as including Saudi Arabia and Israel. Um, Saudi Arabia, you know, this is an editorial in the Arab News, and it referenced Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam, who called Ayatollah Khamenei the quote new Hitler of the Middle East and argued that, quote, appeasement does not work with the Iranian regime, just as it did not work with Hitler. The, um, the uh, Arab News went on to argue that, quote, the next logical step should be surgical strikes. Okay. And as the fourth piece concludes, it says, quote, if and when that happens, though, Iran's response will be markedly different to Syria's. You know... I don't know where this leads, but it's 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 not going to be good for anybody. There's there's a way out of this, but it might take leadership that's not inclined to be bellicose and belligerent and to somehow, you know, in, insane insanely think that a first strike, whether it's a conventional weapon or a nuclear weapon, makes any sense at all in this modern world. We'll see where that goes. Again, I'm I'm glad some of the presidential candidates are calling out the, the those who believe that that approach to foreign policy makes any sense at all. We'll see where this goes. Anyway, folks, uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's middle ground on climate change, how that's coming under fire. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here, broadcasting from the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. And no, that's not St. Louis. It's Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa. Here we are broadcasting from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. A quick shout out to some of our other business partners. Thanks to Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Owner and founder Ying Sa is a uh, a wizard of this sort of stuff, give her a shot for all your tax and accounting needs. That's Community CPA. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, H-O-Q Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Uh, in addition to their restaurant, they've also got a booth of the farmer's market located on Court Avenue between 2nd and Water Street. Thanks also to Sargent's Garage at 6th and College in Des Moines. Again, uh, no sense in getting a new car if you can keep your old one going. That's my motto, at least. And they've been 
they've been uh, they they have uh, been able to keep four generations of Fallon jalopies uh, on the road for a lot longer than most shops would have tolerated. That's Sergeant's Garage. And finally, thanks to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. No appointment needed, folks. Just stop by. That's Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand. All right, so, hey, welcome back to the conversation here. Uh, Joe Biden, when pushed hard on his stand on climate change. Uh, again, a little history here. He announced he was running for president. I don't even think he mentioned climate change in his announcement speech, I believe. I don't know, was it, was it Philly, somewhere? I think it was Philadelphia. Um, uh, but then in three different stops in Iowa, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Dubuque, he um, barely mentioned climate change. In Des Moines, he was confronted by the bold climate penguins, uh, six people dressed as penguins, holding signs saying climate is a crisis, and he talked a lot about climate change. He reminded people, he, he looked right at one of the penguins and said, you know, I was the first one to be out there on climate change. I introduced legislation back in 1986 or 7, which is true. It was a resolution calling on it. It was, it was challenging uh, Congress to put together a task force to look at greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, fair enough. Good start. But um, what have you done since is the question people were asking. And um, the real telling moment of that event, and you can hear this, you can actually hear audio of this comment uh, from his speech in Des Moines on May 1st. I will read it to you. Biden says, quote, North America is now energy independent. It's not the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. It's not Nicaragua. And again, I'm pretty sure he meant Venezuela. It's not somewhere in South America. It's not Africa. It's the United States of America, Canada, and Mexico. And the United States is soon going to be the largest producer of energy of any nation in the world by the end of the 2020s. My Lord, what are we afraid? What are we so afraid of? I'm not quite sure what that last sentence has to do with anything. But it's remarkable to me that this was part of his response to penguins holding signs saying climate is a crisis. Basically, he's responding to climate activists by saying, I'm so proud of the fact that we're going to be the biggest oil producer in the world. And again, put that, you know, maybe put that in the context of what Barack Obama said to a gathering of pro-oil people in Texas last November, where he said, you know, the U.S. is now on, on its way to being the largest oil producer in the world. I did that. That was me. Oh, and again, I think objective analysts and those who do fact-check take issue with that. But the point is, Obama was boasting about being a big oil producer, Biden was part of that as vice president, and now he's taking credit for it, or, or, or at least feeling good about it. <laughs> so, so all this led to a lot of attention nationally on Biden to clarify where he's at on climate change. And he um, came out talking last, uh, let's see, a week ago, that he's going to put together a plan that is a, quote, middle ground to reduce carbon emissions. So, I don't, you know, I don't know how you, and again, this is the problem a lot of people are having, how do you find a middle ground between what science says we have to do to avoid extinction and the status quo, which leads to extinction? You know, it's, it's not like we're trying to find a political compromise here. You know, there's, there's lots of ways you can address the the problem of getting off of fossil fuels of eliminating carbon emissions but the and other greenhouse gas emissions but 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 the middle ground uh comment has generated lots of pushback including as expected from some of Biden's opponents um again this is uh uh see Washington governor Jay Inslee again whose campaign is uh primarily focused on climate change. He was the first, no surprise, to argue against Biden's approach 
He issued a statement immediately afterwards uh, calling for a, quote, bold climate plan for our future, going on to say that, quote, facing a crisis does not permit half measures. Half measures mean full extinction of millions of species and full economic damage to communities across America. That's Inslee. And, um, you know, to <laughs> to Biden's credit, <laughs> because of his uh, campaign staff's uh, reference to a middle ground on climate, uh, it's been able to generate some interesting conversation, uh, including, again, I thought a very, you know, a very pointed quote by Jay Inslee. So uh, Bernie Sanders, of course, who is um, regarded by, I think, many within the Biden empire as being the uh, – uh, the, the candidate's uh, primary opponent, strongest opponent. Sanders, um, he, does, he does currently poll second in Iowa and in most other polls that I've seen. He, um, again, Biden, uh, Sanders also counts climate change as an area of significant disagreement with Biden. According to this story here, um, I'm missing the, uh, the link to where, where it's from. But um, uh, Sanders says... Uh, Quote, Joe talks about a middle road on climate change. Oh, this is on uh, MSNBC uh, with uh, Politics Nation with Al Sharpton. Uh, Sanders goes on to say, quote, well, I think climate change is an existential threat to our planet. And the scientist tells us we've got 12 years to aggressively transform our energy system before we have irreparable harm to our country and the planet. Yes, we know. And then uh, Sanders concludes by saying, we have real differences. I like Joe, I respect Joe, and I look forward to an issue-oriented campaign. So, you know, Sanders' response to to Biden, I mean, fairly nuanced, fairly political, um, fairly tired. I mean, there was nothing to get excited about. Inslee, I'd I'd say, hit him a lot harder with it, and, uh, I mean, in in a lot less words. (laughs) So... Uh, who else? Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand weighs in on it as well. She dismissed the idea of um, any kind of a climate plan that would, you know, try to um, balance the status quo and doing nothing with uh, ambitious proposals like the Green New Deal. She was asked by reporters after a campaign event in New Hampshire last week um, what she thought of uh, Biden's middle of the road plan, and and she just said, "I disagree." Uh, global climate change is the greatest threat to humanity that exists today, and we need solutions that are as bold and as urgent as the problem we actually face. And she reiterated her support for the Green New Deal. Uh, I'm, but, but here's you know here's here's where the rubber fails to meet the road with um, with Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, she talks about it as the greatest threat to humanity that exists today. And yet, if you look at her website, you know, there are, I think, four or five key – I don't have that in front of me. There are four or five – I've looked at it. I want to say four or five key priorities. Climate change is not one of them. How can it be the most serious threat to our existence and not be one of your key, five, you know, key priorities? That's a, there's a disconnect there, a, a thorough disconnect. Now, you know, and while we're on that subject, same with Elizabeth Warren. She talks about climate change as an existential threat. <clears throat> but when you look at her website, it's not, it's not there in any kind of prominent fashion. Sure, there's a mention of it. And, but, but again, if you really believe it's an existential threat, why is it buried or almost non-existent? So to his credit, um, Beto O'Rourke, he... Um, you know, when when asked about uh, Biden's middle of the road approach, he he didn't um, really address that. But uh, his comments on climate change are strong, and backed up by a plan. Now, and 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 not only backed up by a plan, it wasn't a plan that he released and then just forgot about. If you go to Beto O'Rourke's website, it's right up there. There are like uh, four, like five or six, I think, buttons on the top of the page. Vision is the first one. Climate plan is the next one. Climate has its own separate tab on Beto O'Rourke's page. That shows a candidate that's taking it seriously. So, you know, I think um, I, I, I think that's something to be respected and encouraged. O'Rourke concludes by saying, <clears throat> excuse me, 
quote, the shot clock is winding down. We've got 10 years, and that's it. Again, strong language, and, and language that I pretty clearly contradicts anything Joe Biden is going to do that involves some kind of a middle ground. Now, again, Biden is yet to uh, formally release his climate plan. We've just been assured that it's going to be middle of the road, <laughs> but uh, or middle ground. Um, so we don't really know how big of a difference it'll be between what O'Rourke has proposed and uh, and what um, Inslee has proposed. And again, I encourage people to go to their websites and, and study these plans. And again, other other candidates have said things about climate that are good, strong, encouraging. My problem, again, is that how many are really, truly making it the top priority? And again, I, I, you, we have to continue to talk about issues, obviously. I mean, what's happening right now with abortion in the southern states, that, 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 does, that needs to be discussed. You know, what's happening with the threat of war in Iran or in Venezuela, those things need to be discussed. There are so many issues that we can't let just fall off the radar. But we have to make a distinction between those issues and the urgent existential crisis of climate change that is upon us already. And kudos to the candidates that are doing that. And let's make sure those that aren't are encouraged to be more proactive. And again, I, I, I think when – well, all right, to Biden's credit, he's at least talking about releasing a plan. But we'll see what happens when it's actually released because uh, it, it, be, um, it could be a plan that is dropped in the middle of a pack of hungry wolves and shredded like so much lamb meat. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, given where all, almost all the – not all – but given where the largest percentage of the 24 presidential candidates on the Democratic side stand, I suspect that uh, Joe Biden's plan is going to get some more pushback. Yeah, that's safe enough to say. All right. So, uh, again, I whether you're in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, or anywhere else, go online. Study what these candidates are saying, both on their websites and in their public statements. Uh, let's make sure that we hold them accountable on all the issues as well. Make sure what they're saying makes sense. And again, I think it's really, really important not just to hear what they're saying now, but to compare what they're saying with their record. And that's one of them. That's, they're, they're, I've heard people express concerns about both Inslee and O'Rourke, the two who right now I say would have the strongest climate plans, regarding what they're saying and what they've done in the past, much less so about Inslee. But with O'Rourke, concerns about um, his uh, money he's taken in the past from oil and gas interests. He has a response to that that's worth listening to. That A lot of it was from just frontline workers who happen to be involved in that profession. But also some of the votes that O'Rourke took when he was in the U.S. House. So, again, I, you know, do your homework uh, and help us here. You know, if you don't live in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada – Send us any reconnaissance you have because we need that information. There's, uh, we're overwhelmed, but we're willing to be overwhelmed because it's going to take all of us working together to make sure we send the strongest possible nominee uh, into a – and I, I say we just do that on both sides as well. There may be a Republican primary. It looks like that's going to happen. Anyway, folks, thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host, thanking you for listening to today's program. Ed Fallon with you here. Before we take a look at what Pete Buttigieg had to say on the on Fox News on, on during the uh, the interview with Fox News, let's reflect back a few years to Lee Camp's appearance on Fox. He was invited on as a comedian to haha make some jokes about politics. Here's what happened. All right. Julia and Lee, we appreciate it. And I'm sure you guys are going to have a lot more jokes for the rest of the campaign here. Oh, they just keep going. What? Can I, can I just ask a question? Sure. What, what is Fox News? It's just a parade of propaganda, isn't it? It's just a, it's just a festival of ignorance. What? Why, a million Fox people are dead in Iraq. Come on, this is ridiculous. What's the point of this? 
Um, this is insane. Well, I love, uh, go out, I love people Fox at home. News. Go outside. Go, go hug Lee, your children. You should be more. Well, Fox you should News be more worried. Love your family. You know, and you, you get all the news. Right. You can get all the news you can at Fox News. All right, thanks. And guys. I think, oh, okay. All right, that's it. All right, we're also talking about Captain Kirk this morning. And hey, because it's Saturday morning, we're having some fun. Greg, you've got the cushiest job in the world. Yeah, look who just uh, beamed aboard right now. The ladies from the Starship Enterprise. Hello. Hello. Welcome. How are you? Okay, their friend Bones, you know him as Dr. McCoy, just wrote a new book on Captain Kirk and the way he was able to woo beautiful women like this. It's all coming up. Stay with us, please. Well, that's, um, that's... That's gutsy, right? Well, you, 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 won't, you will not be surprised to know that Lee Camp was never invited back to Fox. But he used that opportunity to call them out. You may, you may or may not agree with everything he said. But, but he used the opportunity to make them uncomfortable for a lot of their rhetoric. And I think it's great, by the way, that, that whole clip moves from you know, him bashing Fox and you know, basically saying you're vacuous to them having the most vacuous possible content that you could imagine, you know, uh, Captain Kirk and some beauty queens. Anyway, it was, <laughs> it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a very entertaining and enlightening uh, transition. But uh, fast forward to last week, uh, you know, Fox News invites all the presidential candidates on their, in their format to come and have an interview, you know, at the town hall forum. And you can understand why a candidate might say, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that outlet. And that's exactly what Elizabeth Warren did. And, of course, you have the pundits on both sides who are disagreeing or agreeing. Some think she made the right call. Uh, Chris Matthews thinks she made the right call. You know, although I, I read, his, uh, read his description of why he thinks it's a good idea for her not to be on, and it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. At any rate, um... You know, here's what Matthews Matthews says, quote, that Warren's not going, Warren isn't going in some mad dog, I'm going to suicidally win the nomination and, and then lose the general. Matthews said this a couple weeks ago. She will not say she's a socialist. She makes a point she's not one. She's carving out the center. Not center, that left position that will allow her to move over to the center left and without killing her on the right. It's a little hard to follow some of what he's saying here. Um... But he says, you know, she wants to win, um, and she doesn't think she's going to be somebody's second choice. She's not, she's not going to be on anybody's ticket. It's going to be a winner. She's going to be the winner or not at all. That's, that's Chris Matthews' analysis as, as to why it was a good decision for Warren not to go, not to do a Fox News interview. Well, um, I would be surprised today if Warren isn't reconsidering that decision because I think Pete Buttigieg made it really, really clear why it was a really, really great decision on his part to accept the invitation. Now, he pulled a little bit of a Lee Camp there because he takes the opportunity to criticize, you know, two of the, um, two of the leading, uh, leading um, hosts on the uh, program, on the, uh, on the network, uh, Laura Ingraham and also uh, Tucker Carlson. Let's listen to that, uh, that clip from CNN's news analysis of the uh, of the moment at free speech press freedoms fox news all under attack by the president in one single tweet saying quote hard to believe that fox news is wasting airtime on mayor pete fox is moving more and more to the losing wrong side and covering the dems fox hosted a pete Buttigieg town hall sunday night the south bear mayor and democratic contender took on fox but also reached out to its viewers I mean, when you got Tucker Carlson saying that immigrants make America dirty, when you've got uh, Laura Ingram comparing detention centers with children in cages to summer camps, summer camps, then there is a reason why anybody has to swallow hard and think twice before participating in this media ecosystem. But I also believe that even though some of those hosts are not always there in good faith, I think a lot of people tune into this network uh, who do it in good faith. As for the Trump tweet, one Fox News host, Britt Hume, took exception, tweeting at the president, say this for Buttigieg, he's willing to be questioned by Chris Wallace, something you've barely done since you've been president. Oh, and covering candidates of both parties is part of the job of a news channel.
Well, I, again, you know, this is one reason why Buttigieg is doing well in the polls. He is not afraid to confront the opposition. And in this case, he doesn't, um, he doesn't take down Fox News across the board, but he challenges two people on the network who have consistently um, made comments that are inconsistent with, uh, with the kind of um, leadership he wants to provide. And he gives very specific examples that most Americans would find objectionable. I mean, for Tucker, Tucker Carlson to say that immigrants make America dirty, uh, you know, most most people aren't gonna aren't gonna aren't gonna like that. So here's Buttigieg using the Fox News format, a forum rather, to remind Americans about one of the things that Fox's host said that most Americans won't like. And then he went on to do something similar with Laura Ingraham. In the nicest possible way, he reminded people that Ingraham compared detention centers in which children have been locked up in cages, she compared that to summer camp, <laughs> which is which is incredible. So, uh, I mean, I mean, Buttigieg just knocked this one out of the park. And I, I can't imagine that Warren isn't scratching her head and saying, maybe that was the wrong call. Maybe I should do this. I don't know. Maybe she's still, I, again, the, the political commentators are divided on that. Some think she made the right decision. But I'll bet fewer think she made the right decision after seeing how Buttigieg handled it. You know, and I, I, I commend him for giving it a shot. I've never been, for myself, when I was involved with politics, again, now I'm a recovering politician, so I can, I can move beyond that. But when I was involved with politics, I never hesitated to go on a talk show with Jan Michelson, Steve Dace, Simon Conway, you know, people I almost always disagree with. <laughs> and sometimes I would come on their show. Well, actually, Simon Conway only has you on your sh on his show if he's going to agree with you. He really doesn't like an argument. Uh, he doesn't like the, some, somebody who might debate him and win. Michelson, to his credit, was always willing to have a spirited debate. Uh, as he especially liked guests who he disagreed with. I, I respect that. But the, um, you know, but very few, very few Democrats uh, would go on a show on WHO radio. I mean, I, I know that uh, Michelson was always hoping to get Tom Harkin on. He wouldn't do it. And I have a lot of respect for Tom Harkin. And I understand why people might choose not to go on the program. But um, I, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think it makes sense to open up the dialogue because not everybody who listens, and this is Buttigieg's point, not everybody who watches or listens to Fox News has the same opinion as some of the hosts. And, you know, for him to call them out like that, it took some guts. I mean, maybe not as much guts as it took Lee Camp <laughs> to uh, say what he said years ago. Uh, as I imagine, Buttigieg might actually get invited back. And I imagine that Fox News, despite the risk, is going to continue to extend the invitation to Democratic candidates. We'll see, because as I'm... You know, there's a lot of them. There's 24. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Fox News has a cutoff point. As far as I know, right now, the only other candidate that is coming on is Kirsten Gillibrand. Although I do know that Bernie Sanders did do an interview with them. Uh, I can't, was, that, was that back in the 2016 campaign, I believe? I might have that right. So I don't know how far they want to go with that. But to their, to their credit, and again, you don't hear me give credit to Fox News a lot, they are themselves opening, they're opening themselves up to some risk, as we saw. I do know that the more opportunities we have to talk with these candidates uh, in forums, not just like that, but, but forums, meetings, uh, you know, opportunities where they are uh, compelled to be candid is better. Uh, it, it's good for our democracy. And, well, here's, here's an example. Uh, we, had, we, had Buttigieg, we had Buttigieg here in Iowa uh, last week. I can't keep it all straight anymore. He was in Des Moines for, get this, a book club. <laughs> uh, Andrew Phillips, the uh, vice chair of the Iowa Democratic Party, decided to put together a book club specifically to read the books of the presidential candidates. And uh, the, the membership in this book club went from maybe a dozen or so to, I, I was told, over 750 overnight. <laughs> so, And I, I believe 
Andrea is, is extending the invitation to other candidates as well, but Buttigieg, to my knowledge, was the first one to accept the invitation to actually come to a meeting of the book club, which was also open to the general public. And uh, so members of the book club asked maybe, you know, Buttigieg gave short comments uh, introduced by Andrea Phillips, who also made a, a reasonably short introduction. And then the um, maybe a dozen questions from audience members who were involved with the book club, and then a chance for everybody to go and talk with him afterwards. And I, of course, uh, spoke very briefly with him about climate change. Um, he claims it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a pressing crisis and that, uh, and that they've, um, they've been working on it. Uh, it it's on his website. I, I need to go back and check and see how strong that statement is. But the bottom line is um, all these opportunities, whether it's these little coffee shops or events where you've got a few hundred people or big events like the Fox News Forum, they're all good. I think every candidate should accept every possible opportunity to come and talk with, you know, talk about their views. And, and again, even if, um, you know, even if you know that you're going to get some uncomfortable questions, so what? Do not be afraid of that. I think it's fascinating, by the way, that one of the critics of Fox News having these forums is President Trump. <laughs> he's, he's, he's blasting Fox News for allowing these Democratic voices to be heard, which is um, pathetic. I mean, come on. Are you really that afraid uh, to talk with somebody who may have an opposing viewpoint? And again, Buttigieg understands this very well because not everybody who listens to Fox News or watches Fox News is necessarily going to agree with everything they say, and they might come out finding that something the candidate said is agreeable to them. Thanks again, folks, for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host.